Well, again, welcome. Glad you're with us, whether you're virtually or here with us in the room. Um, several years ago, um, I got a letter, a summons for jury duty. And I know most people get those summons for jury duty and they hang their head and they're frustrated and disappointment. Um, I actually kind of enjoy the process of it. To me, it's just fascinating to kind of watch. And um, I, I like to watch people um, a lot more than I like to talk to people. Um, um, just being kind of more introverted, um, I would much rather just kind of sit back and watch things than being a huge group just talking with a lot of people. I like to be in front of people, um, not necessarily with people as much. That's just part of my nature. But I got called for this jury duty, and, and through all the process, I had always been to the point where you go into the big room, and they call out the numbers and names, and I've never gotten picked to leave that room. And a, a bit disappointed by it, honestly, because I would like to see what happens beyond um, that part of the process. And so several years back, I got picked, and I got to go to the Vordire. I know that's a French word, and I'm not pronouncing it correctly. That's how we do it in Texas, the Vordire. And so I'm sitting in this room with 60-plus potential jurors, and the guy stands up, and he is chosen to represent himself. And if you don't know, if you've never been out of that first room and you're not familiar with the legal system, the voir dire is the part where they pick the jury who will sit and hear the case. And so I made it into this room, and the guy stands up, and he says, I have chosen to represent myself. Now, he was on trial for assault with a deadly weapon and facing somewhere up to life in prison. And he chose to represent himself. And in picking the jury, his first statement after I have chosen to represent myself, was an explanation as to why. Because the last several court-appointed attorneys I have had have not done well for me. <laughs> if you're wondering, I, I did not get picked to sit on this jury. I was like number 60-something. There was no way... Um, but I saw in the paper several weeks later, the trial lasted a couple of days, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Um, so did not do well. But, but what I thought was so fascinating about the process is in this process, you are picking the people who will sit on the jury to hear your trial, and they will decide what happens to you next. They get to determine the next steps of your life, and you are getting to pick and be a part of this choice. And so what I want to do for the remainder of this series, and if you're new, um, we started this new series, and it's part of a sermon trilogy. Over the next year, we're going to walk through in three separate series the book of Mark, and this first three or first of three is new, and it's the first basically eight chapters of the book of Mark as Jesus introduces this new kingdom of which he is the new king in this new world order that he is inviting people to be a part of. And what I want to do for the rest of this part of the series, this new series, 
is invite you to sit in the room and you to be the juror. As Mark presents testimony and witness answering this question, who is Jesus? Because this question is the driving force of this first part of the gospel of Mark. And and here's what I want you to do is you get to sit in the jury room. And you get to hear the testimony of witness after witness, proclamation after proclamation as to who Jesus is. You are forced to decide for yourself the answer to this question. You get to decide. And not only do you get to decide, the problem is you must decide. Because as you hear the testimony of who Jesus is, you must make a choice. You must make a decision. Because of who Jesus claims to be, there is no way around it. And as we've said early on in this series, you can choose whatever you want. I cannot decide for you. Your parents, your spouse, they cannot decide for you. You must decide. Answer this question for you. And you can say, I don't, I don't really care who Jesus was. I don't believe Jesus is who he says he was. Or you can follow Jesus. But you cannot escape the question. And I love the way C.S. Lewis described your choices. He says, basically, you have this choice between Jesus being a liar, Jesus being a lunatic, Jesus being a legend, or Jesus being your Lord. But you must decide based on the testimony that Mark will present. And Mark begins with basically his opening statement. If you've ever seen a court trial or sat in the room, there's always the opening statement. And Mark begins, as we looked at last week, with the opening statement, verse 1 of chapter 1, the beginning of the good news, and here's who he claims that Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he begins with this statement. Here's who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Now, I'm going to show you witness after witness, testimony after testimony, that points to the fact that Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is. And Jesus is the first that we get to hear from in verse 15, as he says this about himself. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. And believe the good news. And we said last week, and just leave this here for me, Stephen. The the entire series, the entire series asked one gigantic question. The, The sermon trilogy asked one question. What does it mean to believe the good news? The good news that the kingdom of God has come near in the person of Jesus. And that you must If you're going to be a part of that kingdom, repent and believe the good news. Because typically what we've done is we've reduced it to saying simply believe that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, so be baptized and stop sinning. That's typically 
um, the, the short answer for what we'll say. But, but Jesus means something so much bigger than simply that. As he talks about the kingdom of God coming near, he's talking about God's work in the world to redeem and reconcile all things and bring all things under the rule and reign of himself, King Jesus. That everyone, every person, everything on earth would submit to him. And that he had come to combat, to push back the forces of darkness and the forces of evil so that life may come into this world through himself. And so this idea of repenting is this idea that you've been going this one direction. You've been a part of this one kingdom for your entire life. That's been what's guided and directed everything. And now you're going to turn and go in an entirely opposite direction because the kingdom of God moves in a countercultural direction. As the world is moving this way towards power and esteem and prestige, the kingdom of God is moving the other direction towards love and humility and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so it's this idea that I'm going to be a part of this new kingdom, this new world, this new order. And so if I'm going to be a part of that, I must believe. And when he says believe, listen, we are American as it gets in our understanding of believe. What does believe mean in our world, in our terms? It means this cognitive process where we know in our mind what is true. But what Jesus means is not just simply this knowledge cognitively, this mental game that we have it down, we know this is true. But it means to actually live in a way as if it were true. You see, you can know it, but the real question is, do you believe it? Do you actually live your life in a way, in a manner that says this good news is true? And so, we'll just begin with some testimony of witnesses. And understand, these witnesses were there, walking with Jesus. This is not testimony of what they heard from someone else. This is the testimony of people who were there with Jesus every day. So verse 14, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. They're casting a net because they're fishermen, not this hobby this is their life. This is how they make a living. This is the family business. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on, verse 18. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And so the very first 
people that we encounter the testimony about Jesus or these disciples. And their testimony is entirely based on what they do. And I want you to notice something. As we go through the Gospel of Mark, notice the urgency in which everything happens. The urgency at which Jesus moves from place to place, from person to person, from ministry to ministry, and also the urgency in which people respond to him. In verse 15, um, the time has come, the king, or I'm sorry, I keep saying 15, I mean um, 17, 18, sorry, 18, at once, um, going back to the previous one, um, at once they left their nets. Going to the next one, Stephen, um, and without delay. And so constantly Jesus is going to be talking about the urgency in which people follow and respond. See, this call by Jesus is to leave everything behind and come follow him. They're fishermen. They're casting their nets. They're mending their nets. They're taking care of their business. And they leave everything immediately and follow. It sounds a lot like the very beginning of Genesis. As God comes to a man named Abram and says, I want you to go and leave your father and your father's household and your country and your people and you're going to go to a land I will show you. And Abram left. He went as God had called him. And the call of these first disciples gets the same response. They leave everything and follow Jesus. And I just picture like the son, Zebedee, sitting in the boat. You, you kids, get back here. We've got work to do is they go off to follow Jesus. And the question, if you're reading this just at face value for the first time, why in the world do they follow? I mean, this is so early in Jesus' ministry. And so what I want to do, just for our purposes in this series, I want to give you just a really, really, really quick, brief overview of why it's possible they followed so quickly. Jesus was a first-century Jewish rabbi. And in this world, rabbis were very revered, respected. The name rabbi simply means my teacher. And the best of the brightest of these young Jewish boys aspired to be rabbis, to be the teacher, to be the one that stood on behalf of the people, on behalf of God. And they wanted so badly to become rabbis. But most would find themselves in the family business, learning a trade. So they were fishermen. Because no other rabbi had chosen them to follow and be a disciple. And so for a rabbi to call you and say, come follow me, would have been an incredible honor. And I believe that so much of what happens here is not these first disciples, Peter, James, Andrew, John, is not, hey, we know that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God. It's a rabbi has called us. And he said, come and follow me. 
Because typically the way the system worked was when a rabbi was honored and revered by the student. They would go to this disciple, or they would go to this rabbi, and they would say, can I follow you? And if a rabbi thought you were worthy of being his disciple, he would say, come and follow me. But here, you don't have these disciples going to Jesus saying, can I follow you? You have Jesus going to these disciples and saying, come and follow me. And so they leave everything at once to follow. And I wonder, I wonder as we get to to just catch a glimpse of this story, just a, a small portion of what happens and what unfolds beside the sea, I wonder if Jesus had told them up front where this road would lead, if they would have followed. Because Jesus knew, 100%, he knew what was going to take place. He knew where he was headed. But he doesn't tell them a thing. He just says, come and follow me. For you, it's your choice as well. Jesus does not tell you where the road will lead. He does not tell you where it is going. He does not tell you how difficult it is going to be. He just says, come and follow me. He tells you there will be problems, there will be heartache, this will be difficult if you're going to follow me. But you must choose. If you believe Jesus is who he says he is, And the question is, will you truly live your life as if it were true? From there, he goes on to Capernaum. Capernaum was a a small fishing village by the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, probably around 1,000 or 1,500 people. And, And Jesus, with his disciples, find themselves in this small village. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, one man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You have come to destroy us. I know that you are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, he said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that each asked, What is this? A new teaching. And with authority. And even... He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, I want want you to notice this. As we sit here and look in on this scene that unfolds, it's not the man who is possessed 
who first announces Jesus' presence and identity. It is the Spirit that called impure Spirit that proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God. Isn't that fascinating? It's not the man coming and saying, hey, I have an unpure, unclean spirit. And I think it's so fitting that he uses the term unpure or unclean, not evil. There is this unpure, unclean spirit in this world And Jesus is bringing healing by cleansing the work that he will ultimately finish and complete on the cross. As he pushes back against the forces of darkness and the forces of evil that are at work in this world. This spirit that Jesus cleanses the man of. So that the man is made whole. And the Spirit is the one that announces Jesus' identity. You are the Son of God. You have a demon. A spirit that is announcing the identity of Jesus and obeying his word. Listen, there's darkness all around us. And so often, our hope is that we would be able to fight against it. Rather than calling on the one who has the power to make everything in all of creation submit to his rule and reign. What can we do to heal this land and this nation? I think the better question is how do we have the Spirit of God empower us to bring healing to this land? Listen, the healing will come through the church, Christ's body, because we are hands and feet in this world. But it is His Spirit that empowers us to bring that hope and healing into this world. Make no mistakes about it. Because I don't care how good you are, how smart you are, how intelligent you are, how great of a teacher you are, how spiritual you are, the forces of evil that are at work in this world will only submit to the rule and the reign of King Jesus. And as his people, we must constantly be on our knees begging and pleading that Jesus would show his power in this world. The beauty of the invitation to believe in King Jesus is that in some small way, 
you and I get to be a part of what He is doing in redeeming and reconciling the world. They believe Jesus. And the people in the synagogues are amazed at His teaching. But while the people sit amazed, the spirits that are at work in this world are bowing in obedience to King Jesus. See, He's continually cleansing and cleaning this world. He's reconciling all things. And the beauty of our new birth is that day after day, He is continually cleaning and cleansing you and I. Because we're a part of this new world. But it is a continual pursuit to follow Jesus. Several years ago, um, I decided for Mother's Day that an incredible gift to give my beautiful wife, um, who is the mother of four kids, they're my kids too, um, I'd throw that out there, um, but to give her the gift of having a cleaning service come to our house. And so, happy Mother's Day, we're going to have this cleaning service. And I found out really early on in the process, I did not like having a cleaning service. Because with four kids and us living life and all of our activities and sports and school, the bad news about having a cleaning service is you actually have to clean your house before the cleaning service comes to clean your house. So, so what was meant to help us actually made things a little bit more difficult. Because the night before the cleaning service would come, there was a race through the house. Because evidently we didn't hire a maid service to pick up toys and clothes and, and do the dishes. We just hired someone to deep clean. And so we had to take all the junk and get it out of the living room and out of the bedrooms and put it up and clean, which kind of forced us to pick up, but it wasn't always the most convenient times. But this process, I found, was so difficult because I was just a few moments away from getting there myself. Right? We get it all picked up. Now, well, I can run the vacuum now and then run a dust mop over the floor. That's not real hard. And then we hired a new cleaning service. Um, child labor laws are a problem, and so they're 13, 12, um, 8, and 6. They do a fantastic, most of the time, job. Um, excellent car detailing, by the way. I found out yesterday. Um, but, but this pursuit with, with cleaning was so difficult because you had to do all this work to get there, and then you allowed someone else to come in. And I think so many times we look at our relationship with Christ in much the same way. We must do all this work to get ready and get prepared. And then Jesus will come in and do the rest that kind of gets us over the top. But when he says, come follow me. 
when he asks us to submit to his rule and his reign. It means that we give up ourselves and our power and our ability to get us there. It's actually saying, God, we have faith in you that we can't make it on our own at all. And we need you to heal and cleanse what is unclean. We need the hope that you bring into this world And so many times I think the message we give to people as churches is simply change and you can follow Jesus. Get get everything in your life in order. Get everything right and then you can follow Jesus. Stop sinning. Believe and then you can follow Jesus. But time and time again, it seems that if Jesus' message is change or follow me and you will change. Do, do you want to be like me? Come follow me. And your life is going to change. Your life is going to change because I'm going to give my spirit to you to empower you and to give you hope and to give you life to reconcile and redeem. Then Peter's mother-in-law, is sick. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. They immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her by the hand, helped her up. The fever left, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick, the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So so first you have the mother-in-law of Peter who's sick. And as she is healed, she begins to serve them. And then you have these other people as news spreads from around the communities that are bringing Jesus, those who are sick, those who are demon-possessed. And He's healing them. And Jesus is changing the world. Jesus and His power through His Spirit, is changing the world. I believe He's still doing that work today. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes it's hard to tell. And we see events as from the past week, the past months and months. And we wonder where, where is God showing up? What is God doing? Jesus, where are you? And I think it's so interesting what happens next. Because Jesus has asked these disciples to follow him. 
And they responded by immediately leaving everything and following him. And a demon, an un- impure spirit, has submitted to the voice of Jesus. And Peter's mother-in-law, who was sick, has been healed. And many who were sick and demon-possessed were set free. Time and time again, we have heard story after story as we sit on the, the stand and we listen to people sitting on the stand. We listen to their testimony as to who Jesus is. And then Jesus goes off to pray. In the moment where he's doing so much good and is seen by so many people, it seems as if he disappears and they can't find him anywhere. It says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place to pray. He's been doing all this work, been around all these people, and now he goes to pray. Simon and his companions went to look for him. It's Peter. They go to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Jesus, we have a problem. Everyone. is looking for you. And I know what Peter meant. We all know what Peter meant. Jesus had seemingly disappeared to go pray. And they're trying to find him. And all these people still keep coming, searching for something. Peter comes to this realization. And I think the words are so profound. Even today, just as they were then, everyone is looking for you. Right now, Everyone in our world is looking for someone that some have never heard the name of before. Everyone is looking for you. But some don't know it yet. And some think it's going to come through power. As the disciples did. When you you come into your kingdom, can we sit at your right and left? Can we sit back and take it easy and live the good life? And Jesus said, that's not how it's going to come into this world. It's not going to come through power. It's going to come through self-sacrificing love, humility, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. 
forgiveness. Everyone is looking for you. Now, that question we began with, who is Jesus, is so, so important right now. Because everyone Everyone is looking for the answer if Jesus is who he says he is. And like I said, you have to decide for yourself. No one else can decide for you. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is Messiah, if he is the Son of God, if he has brought this new kingdom into this world, and he is the new king, and everything in this world will now function differently because Jesus has overcome sin and death and pushed back the powers of darkness. If Jesus is who he says he is, then you must answer. And the answer to that question is so important in our world right now. Because our world is looking everywhere for power and comfort They are looking for everything to be made right. And the only one who has the power to do it is Jesus Christ. And we want to make the argument all the time, it's us and them. But Jesus' message has always been, you are now a part of us, go tell them. Because if you believe the good news, You and I are called to be heralds that go into this world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings because you have seen disciples and you have seen sickness and you have seen demons submit to the rule and reign of King Jesus. The only question is when will you? Because if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and he has brought this new kingdom, and he is this new king, then everything in your life, everything in your life is given and submitted to him. I want to ask a question this morning, especially those of you that have been following Jesus for a really long time. Because if you're like me, it's so easy to get really comfortable and complacent. And it's really easy to withhold certain areas of my life where I don't want to fully trust Him. The question is simple. What in your life are you still holding back? The the spirit, the deepest within the person, evil spirit, unclean, unpure spirit, is turned over and submits to Jesus. What are you holding back? What is it that is in your life that you've never given to Christ? Maybe the better question is, in the long run, what will you give your heart, soul, mind, and strength to? 
Because rest assured, you will give it to something or someone. And that statement, Peter's statement, maybe some of the most profound words in the world right now. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And here, here's the crazy thing. And I, and I don't think Peter realized how important this was. But in that moment, when everyone was searching, and everyone was looking, and everyone needed Jesus, Peter knew the way to Jesus. Peter knew how to get everyone what they were looking for. Everyone is looking for you. Father, that statement, that statement today is so profound. There's so much truth beyond just the simple obvious that people were just looking for Jesus. Father, our world is looking for you right now. And the way that you're going to show up is through your church being the church that you have called us to be. That we, empowered by your Spirit, would be your hands and feet in this world. Because we have answered the all-important question, who is Jesus? And we believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And because we have encountered you, because we have walked with you, our life is transformed and changed forever. And so, Father, today is our prayer that you would lead us, that you would empower us, as Peter did, to know the way to you, Jesus. And to go and announce and proclaim that good news that Jesus saves. Father, use us in powerful ways as we bring your kingdom into this world. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And as you say in Jeremiah, Father, when we seek you with all of our heart, we will find you. And so, Father, help us as we help others in that search. We pray in Jesus' beautiful and precious name. Amen.